0: It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio, I'm David Leventhal. On today's show... COVID continues to rage out of control, well, in America, anyway, and the President of the United States, Donald Trump, is moved to declare war on democracy, not COVID. We will discuss our war on democracy and our not war on COVID in today's show as we continue to expand on our discussions of the basically Grand Canyon that divides our political parties in this country. The political party in this country and the criminal organization that's currently in charge. In fact, this is going to be part one of at least a two-part episode on that particular subject of the stark divide in this country, the stark contrast between the two choices that we have politically, a political party and a political criminal organization and also how the media continues to engage in both sidesism to elide the difference between these two parties and what our choice really is about. We will do that in the context of, the, of democracy and COVID and a couple of other news items from the week briefly. And we will start off there with the big news of the week which you've already heard about unless you've just awoken from a COVID-induced coma of some sort, Joe Biden has chosen his running mate, Kamala Harris, uh, senator from California, former attorney general of California, former opponent of Joe Biden for the nomination, is going to be Biden's vice presidential candidate. That is indeed big news. In fact, such big news that I... If it's okay, I'm 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 coming out now. Um, that's it. I, I'm I'm gonna vote for Biden. Yep. This is this is this has done nothing um, in that regard because obviously Biden could have chosen Tony Soprano for his running mate, and I still would have been voting for him. He's going up against Donald Trump. Unfortunately, I'm a little concerned that that is basically the reaction of. Pretty much everybody in the United States of America where by this point, Biden's VP choice really wasn't going to matter a whole hell of a lot. And in that sense, it's kind of it's kind of a letdown. The whole thing is a little bit of a letdown. It is remarkable that people have have been commenting on. Biden has chosen an African-American woman to be his and former opponent in the prim, in the primaries to be his running mate a tremendously bold choice that at this point in time just seems remarkably safe almost almost an anti climax and it, and in a, in a very large sense Harris is absolutely the safe choice for him The safe choice, in part because she went through the primary and she's a known quantity, a safe choice in so many respects that she's so much more difficult to attack, the theory goes, from Donald Trump. The theory, for the most part, being ridiculous because it doesn't matter what she believes in, what she stood for, the fact that she's received campaign donations from Trump and his family members in the past, doesn't matter. They're just going to make shit up anyway. And that is only the start of what points out, of how the choice of Harris really points out more of the contrast between our two political parties right now. Yes, they will make shit up about her and they attack her in incredibly unfair and ridiculous ways, whereas the Democrats will continue to pull their punches on the dumbass that's up against her in the vice president slot, our current vice president, Mike Pence. The contrast will be seen looking at the backgrounds and who these people are. On the one side, you've got the poster children for dumbass privilege. The poster children between Trump and Pence for white privilege and absolutely worthless, completely unaccomplished human beings who, who get... Where they get, which is to say, everything they want because of their privilege. Going up against two people, one of whom isn't even white, who don't have the same privilege, and to a large extent have actually managed to earn what they've gotten in life, it kind of makes a difference in who you are and what you believe in. And, well, one way that it makes a difference in what you believe in, we could see in our continuing discussion. On the fraud front, how the Trump administration, of course, is as Donald Trump has been his whole life, all about fraud. And and the big news story of the week on the fraud front, of course, is that New York Attorney General Letitia James brings charges against the NRA and its leaders, seeking, among other things, to put the NRA out of business. Because of the extent of the corruption. Well, the corruption of the NRA has been known for a long time. I first reported on this show, it has to be a year ago, at least a year ago, that the charges started coming out about how unbelievably much corruption there was among the leaders of the NRA. Who could imagine it? There's more information coming out. and This information now is forming the basis of her lawsuit since the NRA is established in New York that the lavish lifestyles that the executives of the NRA were leading, the trips that they took on the dime, the houses that they had, beach houses that they bought, with money that the morons thought they were actually putting in to support, I guess, their freedom to shoot themselves. Uh, One of the things that you keep hearing about in this with their lavish lifestyles, this is, I think, just Wayne LaPierre, Eight trips to the Bahamas. I think they got the. I think I got that number right. The number isn't really all that important. But eight trips to the Bahamas. Now, of course, they, they say, "Well, you know, here's here's taking vacations." But of course, I, I'm not even sure when I'm reading reports on this that the true impact of the trips to the to the Bahamas is even being mentioned anywhere. It's not just that these guys are taking vacations, going on an African safari. And having the NRA members pay for it is one thing. Going to the Bahamas, though, it's hard to divorce that from the whole knowledge that the Bahamas is a famous offshore tax haven. It's a place where criminals go and hide their money to keep it out of the reach of United States tax and United States regulatory authorities. When you've got secret stolen hidden money, you put it in the Bahamas. And one certainly has to look at this eight trips to the Bahamas and think it's not just that they're that they're sending you to the Bahamas that that's what NRA members doers are doing. It's that they're probably sending you there to visit the money you've stolen from the NRA and from all kinds of other places there. So Trump, of course, has responded to these allegations that the leaders of the NRA have been lying to members of the NRA to support their lavish lifestyles by lying to the same people about what the lawsuit is about, about what's being alleged, or whatever. Why not just keep doubling down on the lying? That is the fundamental underpinnings of Donald Trump and the Republican Party right now. Just keep lying and double down you've when you're caught just keep doubling down just keep lying some more you've got the media universe that that will have your back the fox news the one american news etc and why not keep doubling down you've got that media universe behind you you've got the propaganda mill you've also got the same supporters the same tools who were giving money to these fucking criminals on ridiculous reasons the idea that People are taking your handguns away. All the bullshit about what Democratic gun proposals are all about, they're, they're speaking to the same freaking tools. These people are pre-selected to fall for the lies. So just keep lying. And so that is one area where you really see the contrast between the two parties here. But I think the, the biggest area here where this whole NRA thing shows the difference between two parties and how toxic this country has become, is the reaction that we are and will be seeing from those who are affected. The reaction we're going to be seeing in this case from those who have been defrauded. Those who have been cheated, lied to, and had their money stolen. Well, you can imagine how angry these people are going to be. And you are right. These people are angry. Of course, they are not angry at the fraudsters. They are not angry at the Wayne LaPierres and the people who stole their money. They are angry at Letitia James and liberals for their war on the NRA. That's how fucking stupid and how cultist, cultish these people are. Actually, are. And l- let's not engage in false equivalences because this show will be about both sides and false equivalences. This would not be the reaction if this were a left organization. If this was the Sierra Club and you saw credible bona fide charges of theft by the leaders of the Sierra Club. There is nobody who would be leading the charge against them, more so than the members of the Sierra Club. You will not see that with the NRA. That's what it means to be tools. So anyway, speaking of tools and the divide in this country, let's go to our main subjects today and start with the assault on democracy from the last week, week and a half or so. And the first thing I want to talk about here is Trump's decision to end the census count one month early. You've probably already heard a lot about this. Let's just, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. We've got a lot to do in today's show, but let's boil this down to the essence. There is no legitimate rationale for this. This is not a money-saving tool. This is not about accuracy. This is not about stopping cheating or fraud or the usual lies that they came up come up with. There's not even a patina of bullshit that they could come up with, other than what this is, which is the bl- blatant theft and affront of the census and the count that it leads to the distribution. Of power across America. That is what this is about. And it is pretty damn clear that this theft of power in this country, the only way Republicans can get it, they're going to get away with it here. It seems almost certain that they will be blatantly engaging in the theft of power and will get away with it. Usually, People aren't this blatant historically. Usually, of course, you take the census count and then you start destroying democracy. You take the census and then you gerrymander the shit out of the results to steal congressional seats, state legislatures, whatever else. You don't generally steal the census. You don't generally screw up the constitutionally mandated decennial census. That means every 10 years in lawyer speak or constitution speak. Now, there are exceptions to that. I've reported on this show, again, to point out that Donald Trump is a step further for the Republican Party, but he is not a breed apart, which is why they're so happy to embrace him. For years, we have been screwing up the census and stealing the census. The the way they've been doing that is you take people who live in urban areas and you arrest them, often for for minor crimes, and you send them to rural prisons. And then you count them as citizens of those rural prisons. You count that as their domicile, despite the fact that they can't even vote. They can't vote while they're in prison. So that has been a minor way. There's just a a few million people you can do that with, where the Republicans have been cheating on the census. But this takes it to a whole nother level. By ending this census a month earlier than was planned and several months earlier than we need to get an accurate census count, what it's going to do is undercount people in urban areas. That will shift power from urban areas and the people that we need to, whose interests we need to represent, whose lives we need to help in urban areas. And we will shift it to rural areas. In other words, places where people tend to vote Democratic to places where people tend to vote Republican. Because the electoral college and gerrymandering just isn't enough if you are this blatantly criminal a political party. You need to do more in the way of theft in order to ensure any kind of electoral success in the future. So will this blatant theft, will they get away with it? Well, it, it will likely be challenged in courts. If it gets to courts, if there is a legal basis to challenge this or a constitutional basis to challenge this, let's just remember that it is likely this question about whether Republicans can engage in this blatant power grab, unconstitutional, undemocratic power grab, whether they get away with it will be decided by judges appointed by Donald Trump and George W. Bush. Even though, I get to say it again, even though the Republicans who have filled our federal judiciary with political hacks have lost six out of the last seven nationwide popular votes. Isn't that great? Isn't theft wonderful? Oh, boy. Speaking of theft, of course, we've got the theft of the election. Theft of the census doesn't help Donald Trump in 2020. It helps the Republican Party thereafter. doesn't help him in 2020. So he's got to really get moving, as I've been talking about for Months, years on this show. And he's started along that road by floating the possibility, as I mentioned briefly in in the show last week, by floating the possibility of delaying the 2020 election. It's blatantly unconstitutional, blatantly absurd. We managed to hold elections during World War II, but and during other major wars, of course, but, you know, that doesn't really matter. Well, this is so unconstitutional and so absurd that the Republicans immediately dismissed the idea. So oh, Trump floated delaying the election and the GOP leadership said, no, we're not going to do that. Hallelujah, there is some integrity in this country. Ha <laughs> ha just kidding. Look, as any reader of Shakespeare will tell you, you have to ask them three times. You can't just ask once, do you want to become the emperor? You have to ask three times. The Republican Party has only been asked once. Give it a few weeks. You got to build up to it. And then the Republican Party will all be on board with delaying or canceling the election. But in case we can't get to that point where that where that balloon that's been floated manages manages to fly manages to to persuade enough of the american public that it's okay they're busy destroying the election from the inside the actual processes of the election should we have it of course the big news electorally from the past week is trump's assault on the united states post office yes The latest of of all of our institutions, the census, whatever, that that the Trump Republican criminal organization is just out to destroy. Remember how we've been talking for like three and a half years in this country about how, yes, Trump is awful. He's a dictator. The Republican Party is bad. But our institutions are holding. Yeah, still early, people. Well, one of those institutions is the post office and Donald Trump and the Republican criminal organization are destroying our post office and thereby our ability to vote by mail during a global pandemic. I floated the possibility a week or two ago that if they have any strategy at all regarding COVID, maybe their strategy is if they make COVID bad enough, they'll keep people away from the polls. Then they won't count the absentee ballots. The only people who are going to show up at polls are the fucking morons who they keep telling, and Fox News keeps telling there's nothing wrong. Hence, Republicans will steal the election. Well, Trump's absolute tool of a postmaster general is out there killing the post office, almost certainly with the sole intent of having Trump steal the election, Republicans steal the election. This is Louis DeJoy, whose qualifications for being our postmaster general is giving more than $2 million to Republican candidates in the recent electoral cycle. Yes, a man with no qualifications to be doing what he's doing, gee, sounds like someone from the Trump or Bush administration, almost anybody, is busy purging the United States Post Office and the, of, its, of its qualified, experienced people. More than 23 executives to this point, long-time executives of the post office who knew, what, who knew what they're doing, have been purged, have been dismissed. As Louis DeJoy continues to accumulate power to himself and being the tool that he is, Therefore, accumulating power to Donald Trump or, you know, perhaps to Mitch McConnell, Moscow Mitch. In the meantime, they are delaying mail service for tens of billions of people across this country, including many of those same rural morons they're, they're counting on to get them elected. They're delaying mail service to them, to people like me. I'm having to wait longer to get my junk mail, for instance. It's, it's an indignity. This, of course, destroying the post office, is part of the advance of, and here I will give them credit for strategy. I don't think they're very bright, but sometimes someone there can figure out how to steal stuff and engage in that kind of strategy. This is the strategy that I think we are not focusing on enough and need to be really scared about. Historically, in this country, we know who wins on election night. It seems overwhelmingly clear at this point that given the amount of voting by mail that will have to be done because of the coronavirus pandemic, that we will not know on election night who won. Well, Donald Trump will not tell us that. The Republican criminal organization will not tell us that. In fact, as I joked about before, you can expect that it is way more likely that those people who do find themselves going to the polls will be among those people who've been told for more than half a year to that point that the coronavirus is bullshit, the scare is all made up, etc. In other words, those people who will be going to to the polls will be disproportionately Trump voters. Those people who will have some sense and worry about their, their safety and the safety of their family members and their friends Will be more likely to vote by mail. Donald Trump is planning on rigging the system enough that if it is possibly a close enough election with all the with all the theft that will be done with closing voting places, polling places, and all that other stuff, Donald Trump is hoping that on election night he can say, "I am ahead. I have won." And like George Bush managed to steal the steal the two thousand election by being the first to declare victory on election night. Donald Trump is figuring that he is going to declare victory on election night. And by the time the, the ballots roll in over the next week, and they are counted, and it turns out that he loses in a landslide, it won't matter. At that point, it will be a question of, Donald Trump has said that he's won the election. And now the Democrats are trying to steal it from him by counting votes. If this sounds extreme to you, if this sounds like they won't get away with it, they got away with it in 2000. They get away with it all the fucking time. They've gotten away with it since. That is exactly what will happen. That is why he needs to lose badly. Jamel Bowie had an interesting op in the New York Times this week. He noted, earlier this year, a group of more than 100 people, Republicans, Democrats, senior political operatives, and members of the media, gathered to role-play the November election using predetermined rules and procedures. In each scenario, other than a Biden landslide, writes Niels Gilman of the Berggren Institute, who helped organize the exercise, we ended up with a constitutional crisis that lasted until the inauguration, featuring violence in the streets and a severely disrupted administrative transition. And remember who has all the guns in this country. This is what they are hoping for. They are hoping that their morons, the ones who are most likely to riot, the ones who probably have nothing better to do and whose minds have been completely given over to Donald Trump, the Republican Party, and Fox News, will be animated to steal blatantly this election. And where the hell do we go from there? That brings us to COVID, because you know we're on the good news front at this point. Real upbeat show, I know today. It's it's always upbeat in the Trump administration. Well, we'll we'll try to find some some good news here. Um, but first, some of the bad news and the update. Um, there has been a resurgence of outbreak. Well, not in America. That that's been going on for a long time. New Zealand is seeing a resurgence in its outbreak. 17 cases this week. That's right. 17. One, seven cases this week in New Zealand. And that has New Zealand up in arms and mobilizing to beat COVID. That has the Prime Minister Ardern of New Zealand Pulling her hair out to stop this from happening, from from it ballooning. 17 cases in a week. Well, let's try to put that into context. The United States, a couple of days ago, set a one-day record with at least 1,470 deaths. Not cases. 1,470 deaths in one day. One day, not a week. We had, in fact, just yesterday, 50. 5,400 confirmed new cases yesterday. Our official way undercounted numbers, the times that were the report further illustrating how dramatically undercounted these numbers may be. But our official numbers right now are about 1.12 million Americans having contracted the virus, and just about 164,000 dead. Wow. What a what a response we've had in America that we've managed to do so well. Take that New Zealand with all your cases coming back. You've had like a you've had an infinite increase in number of cases since you'd gone 100 days before that with zero cases. You're 17 in contrast, I would I would do the math, but right now I'm making believe I'm a member of the Trump administration and I can't do the math. Uh, to go from zero to seventeen, that is just a really, really high increase, you know, as a percentage. Whereas America, we're much more even kill with our fifty five thousand four hundred new cases. So anyway, let's let's try to find some good news in the COVID front. It's really hard to do, it's find good hard to find good news anywhere front. But I'll try. Um, Herman Cain is dead. Uh, okay, was that a little nasty? Maybe? Was that a little much? A little much for the show? Rooting for someone to be dead? I didn't say I was rooting for him to be dead. I'm just saying maybe it's good news that he is dead. I know, that's that's really nasty. Except, uh, let, let's remember, um, Herman Cain, a multi-millionaire, former CEO of Godfather's Pizza, tweeted as repeatedly tweeted against mask use against mask wearing he wrote shortly before he was diagnosed with the with the virus in all caps he tweeted people are fed up and what are they fed up with they're fed up with wearing masks they're fed up with trying to address this deadly pandemic well how's that for fed up In Herman Cain's case, I'll I'll say this about Herman Cain because I always always look for reasons to find something nice to say about the dead. Got to give him credit. The man walks the walk. He says people are fed up, and he takes the ultimate fed up. He dies. In the midst of my celebrating the death of Herman Cain, I just want to point out that Herman Cain is out there sacrificing other people's lives for Donald Trump's political expediency. That's what he's doing. He is sacrificing lives. I think that we can legitimately applaud the fact that those people who are calling for sacrifice on behalf of a criminal president and his criminal organization could take the responsibility to make the sacrifice themselves. And that's why this week I'm also celebrating the death of Bill Montgomery, Bill Montgomery is the, was the 80-year-old co-founder of the conservative youth group Turning Point USA. He also died, I, I know, 80-year-old co-founder of conservative group, conservative youth group, okay, also died of COVID-19. Shortly after his passing, the group's Twitter account deleted a meme making fun of protective masks that used the hashtag, hashtag big government sucks. Big gov sucks. Once again, is it nasty to be celebrating the death of this piece of shit who is causing the deaths of others? I don't think so. In any case, maybe I'm just being a little nasty. But okay, in our prayers this week is Representative Louie Gomer of Texas, who is among a group of House Republicans who have often refused to wear masks on Capitol Hill, but who has come down with COVID-19. He is blaming his diagnosis for COVID-19 on his having to wear a mask in the first place. So he's continuing to double down on doubling down. So he is in our prayers today. Well, I'm going to blow the good wheel here. I am praying that he dies too. Let all of those who are denying this, let all of those who are willing to sacrifice others continue to die. Let them continue to die so that others may live. Doesn't sound that bad, then, to be rooting for deaths. Others may live, by the way, not necessarily those at the big motorcycle rally this week in South Dakota. The largest mass gathering, probably in history, in the face of a deadly global pandemic, certainly the largest mass gathering in the United States, of non-mask-wearing fucking morons in the COVID age. Many of whom tweeted pictures of themselves not wearing masks, not socially distancing, interacting with 249,999 other like-minded souls, many of whom went to Mount Rushmore, where they took pictures in front of Mount Rushmore, hardly able to conceal the disappointment on their faces that Donald Trump's head was not up there. I I assume when they went, they they were assured that Donald Trump's head was up on Mount Rushmore. But nevertheless, they went there, and face their disappointment. They are part of an anti-mask movement that just keeps growing, right alongside the anti-climate change movement, the anti-reality movement, which is the only thing that keeps the Republican criminal organization going at this point. Okay, maybe I'm being hard. Would, would the Trump administration sacrifice lives American lies for political victory? Have they really gotten that low? Okay, that, that was a rhetorical question, right? I mean, you, you can't ask that question at this point. They've done it so many times, it's so freaking obvious that that's what they do. But here's, here's some fun part uh, uh, of this. There was, we leaked out this past week, an April presentation made by the White House To scientists and to people in the CDC, people within the administration and around the administration and our government that contained the line DEADLINE in all caps, enable broad access to the public by October 2020. Speaking of finding a vaccine, that was the first slide, DEADLINE. Get access to a vaccine of a vaccine to the public by October 20. Gee, I wonder why October 2020 is the word there. Only a cynic or someone alive would think that that had something to do with a November election date. Well, it turns out that that slide and all these actions of the Trump administration, and now it turns out actions of Russia, which is pretty much the same thing as the Trump administration, we continue to find out. Scientists are very worried that Trump's desire for good news before the election, an October surprise, will lead to an untested, dangerous, and ineffective vaccine. And what are the odds of that happening, other than, let's say, 100%? Well, I guess it's unfair to say the odds of that happening. Russia, remember, in Donald Trump's corner, crucial to Donald Trump's election bid, has just announced that they have a vaccine. Anybody want to take bets on its efficacy and safety? Doesn't really matter. The New York Times subheadlined an article on this with "Eyeing Safety Versus Need." Safety versus need—that's that's an interesting way to put it. But bear in mind, when they're eyeing safety versus need, the only need that is considered by the Trump administration and the Republican Party is their need to steal an election. When they say eyeing safety versus need, this criminal organization has no interest in the needs of the American populace. How could we think so little of our president? We're asked Donald Trump asked this week why he's not getting more credit. Donald Trump, of course, has lived his privileged life, Life as the one who has been picked on more than anybody else, who has it harder than anybody else. That's what comes along with privilege if you're Donald Trump, if you're most privileged people. It comes hand in hand with uh, paranoia, basically. But Trump this week, speaking of how much he respects the American public and put their interests first, the funny story of, of the week was retweeting this doctor who opposes wearing masks. Donald Trump approvingly retweeted this doctor, who is a guy. I, I, Herman Kane had probably retweeted this doctor too before he had the decency to finally pass away. This doctor has opposed masks and has tweeted that hydrochloroquine will take care of the whole problem, not an issue. We don't need masks because hydrochloroquine will take care of it, presumably, injecting bleach will also have an important role well turns out that this doctor who was retweeted by the president of the united states you probably heard this but it's still fun is an absolute certifiable lunatic this doctor has tweeted among other things that alien dna is a component of some therapeutic drugs in america alien dna I assume they've got them hidden at Area 51. We all know that. She has tweeted that government scientists are developing a vaccine to prevent religious faith. Oh, if only that were true. It's not true. And if they had such a vaccine, nobody would be looking into it. She has tweeted that dangerous gynecological conditions result from demon sex, having sex with demons. I am not making any of this up. I want to be clear on this. I am not making any of this up. Dangerous gynecological conditions result from demon sex. Um, Trump, in a really humorous moment, you should look this up if you haven't seen it yet, had to run away from a press briefing once a reporter started asking him about this doctor who was fucking insane. But don't don't worry, everybody. Donald Trump is out to save us. In fact, he just issued an executive order that is designed to save us from the the failing economy because of the COVID crisis. Yes, he, because of our political gridlock, he has had to issue an executive order to save us. In case you haven't heard about his executive order, there's not a lot to say about his executive order. It will not be in the news very much because it's a fucking joke. Like the rest of his administration, it's total bullshit designed for PR purposes, not in any way, shape, or form to help people. Although actually one small provision of it regarding student loans might actually have some impact, might actually be implemented and might help people. That just covers up for the fact that there is nothing in it that's going to survive, and that's going to actually do anything. It is simply for bumper stickers to say that Donald Trump is trying to rise above the fray and save this country, and it's the nasty Democrats who will stop him. It is cover for the fact that the Republican Party is doing absolutely nothing to help people or to help this economy or to help people in this terrible economy to survive and to get through this. And am I being one-sided here? I am. Because it is one-sided, not engaging in both sides-ism. It is completely the Republican Party's fault. The Democratic Congress having passed a bill months ago to succeed the current bill. And the Republicans having done absolutely nothing, not even considered it, not responded to it, not objected to it for months until it's too late. And now they want too little, too late. Meanwhile, tens of millions are losing their jobless benefits in this country. Millions are expected to be evicted. Donald Trump's executive order is supposed to cut down on evictions. It will not. It is, it is uh, window dressing. Millions are expected to be evicted in the coming weeks. What's described as the biggest housing disruption since the Great Depression. And what does Donald Trump and the Republican Party do about it? A fake executive order designed strictly for public relations purposes, not designed to actually help anybody. The U.S. continues to remain absolutely leaderless during this pandemic crisis and economic crisis. And leaderless is, according now, leaking out to the Trump administration. Trump administration officials are now letting it be known that America is completely leaderless at this point. The man isn't capable of doing anything other than picking fights with Democrats while we need a leader trying to help us through this crisis. Rather than doing that, he is busy looking up nicknames for Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and every other Democrat he can attack. While we have this global deadly pandemic that we are trying to get through and the worst economic times now, in many respects, worse than the Great Recession, going back to the Great Depression, we have a President of the United States who needs a sandbox, not a soapbox. There is a theory floated around regarding the the solution to this problem, ultimately, that the Democrats in Congress shouldn't give in. They've already signaled that they are willing to compromise way too much with the Republican Senate. The theory is Democrats have the upper hand because the Republicans are governing political party, and they will be held to account if Americans are suffering when it comes to election day. That has historically been the reasoning that's historically played out. I think there's a big flaw to that reasoning right now. In fact, I think there's a couple of flaws to that reasoning. The first flaw being that the Democrats are hampered by being a political party that actually cares about people and wants to govern. The Republican Party criminal organization is not at all burdened with the problem of having to give a shit. And therefore, that gives them an edge. Also, the Republican criminal organization is dealing with a constituency that completely dismisses reality. And to the extent that we underplay this, we are are doing them a disservice. They completely dismiss reality. We are now seeing that Russia is back on the case. Putting up fake videos on Facebook on behalf of the Trump administration, being spread by Republican senators who are already spreading Russian propaganda. One America News, among other right wing outlets, spreading the propaganda. When one political party or criminal organization in this country has given up any hopes of governing and has a complete propaganda mill. The usual rules of who has the upper hand politically get thrown out the window. Well that's it for today's show. We'll be back in just a few days with part two of our discussion of the stark divide in this country with a particular focus next time on how the media continues to misportray what's really going on in this country by engaging in false equivalents and both-sides-ism that have the effect of covering for the Republican criminal organization's extremism. Until then, be well and be safe. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal.